Good morning. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church. We're delighted to have you here this morning for worship. Old friends and new friends, please pick up the friendship pad and pass it to everyone in your pew. Please sign your name so that you are aware of, who, of your presence, and we can all greet one another by name as we conclude the worship service. If you wish to talk to a Stephen minister um, in confidentiality, the Stephen minister on duty today is Barbara Smith and is available in the narthex wearing the special name badge over here. Um, Take a look at the uh, bulletin for details on upcoming events. Uh, we have a couple of announcements this morning. Uh, Noel? I'll see how this works, but uh, it sounds to me like I may be better over here. Uh, <clears throat> So Jack is, uh, Horvath is uh, not doing well, so you're not going to get any jokes today, but I would remind you uh, that the optimists uh, are meeting December 11th, and we are going to be blessed with the talent of our music director, uh, James Doubteth, and he's going to help us uh, sing a few Christmas carols and learn something new about music, either a new piece of music or many of the jewels that he shares with the choir that you all don't always get to hear about. But there's these interesting conversations that go on because of the rich talent of our musical staff. And they talk about harmonies and all of this interesting stuff that you only get if you were a graduate student at Eastman. So come. You're welcome to come. It's a special program for us. Any of you who are willing to admit that you're no longer 39, like Jack Bay, that'll go over to a lot of people's heads. Uh, you're welcome to come. Be glad to have you. There'll be a sign up in the fellowship hall. It'll be a great music program. Thanks, Noel. Deb, do you want to come forward for the advent? Okay, wait a second. There. Good morning. All are welcome today to come to the Advent Brunch and Fellowship Hall immediately following this service. We have some delicious food that was prepared by Anthony Circle. There's crafts for the kids. Um, if you, um, you have a child and want an Advent calendar, there'll be that option there for you to make an Advent calendar. And I just want you all to just come and celebrate because Christmas is coming. Thank you. <laughs> the last announcement, uh, Diane Brown asked me to remind you that the pies uh, will be available this Tuesday from 12 o'clock to 4 o'clock here in the church. I'd like to say thank you for a couple of members of the church for the first service this morning. Last Sunday I was listed as presiding elder and I wasn't. This Sunday, I'm listed as presiding elder, and I am, which I realized this morning at 9 o'clock. <laughs> so, life is humbling. From this humbling beginning, <laughs> I'd like to begin the service. Bruce? Thank you.
God, your blessings overflow. What can we begin to say? How can we begin to show all our gratitude this day? God, we join to worship you, giving thanks for all you do. With thanksgiving, we have come to this church to pray today, offering up our hearts in song that we're loved, though we may stray. With our hearts, our thanks we bring, grateful for our heavenly King. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, you are the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. You came to us on earth that we might know the love, peace, and joy of heaven. You live with us as the word of truth, undertaking and enduring, suffering and dying, Christ the King in our midst. And you rose from death, the spirit of life with us always. And so as a company of Christ's citizens on earth, we offer praise and thanksgiving, praying together with all our redeemed. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
As God's redeemed people, we're not always perfect, and so together we corporately bring our sins using these printed words. King of glory, we confess that our minds become diverted and our eyes dim by the world around us. We become insensitive to the glory of your presence and your activity. You do not proclaim your kingdom in neon lights, but more often in a homemade casserole delivered as love. We tend to be awed by great movements and media announcements and give less attention to the quiet ministry of those who listen, those who send a card, or those who write a soldier. We overlook the less visible ministry of your faithful people and become wowed by the showy display that clamor for attention. Lord, forgive us for not seeing, but also for not doing those quiet things that usher in your kingdom. Forgive us for not holding the door, picking up the trash left by others, and for wallowing in self-pity. Forgive us for harboring reason, for smug attitudes, self-righteousness, and for pushing through life without genuine gratitude for the blessings and opportunities you provide. Forgive us for complaining, and forgive us for not giving thanks to you for your creation, mercy, and abundant love. Forgive us in Jesus' name. Amen. The scripture teaches us that God did not send God's Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And this promise is for you and for your children. Amen. can be seated. Today we're going to be reading Psalm 138, but I thought we would do this a little differently. Um, I'm going to suggest that you take a Bible from the pews and uh, you'll find Psalm 138 either as number 545 in terms of pages or page 577. And the way in which to get to the Psalms, of course, is that's kind of the middle of the Bible. So if you find the middle, then you can easily get to Psalm 138. And they used to have Psalms printed in the back of hymnals when they had fewer hymns in them. And they were written in such a way that the congregation would respond where the print was bold and the pastor would read something where the print was lighter. So I thought we could do the same thing just using the Bibles that we have. You might have to share them. And so I'll read the odd-numbered verses, and you can read the even-numbered ones. Psalm 138. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. 
On the day I called, you answered me. You increased my strength of soul. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve me against the wrath of my enemies. You stretch out your hand, and your right hand delivers me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
That was just wonderful. And what a great song to sing for this day when we have uh, Thanksgiving and Christ the King Sunday. This is, uh, I'm going to sneak down past you. Can I come back this way? Thanks. Yeah, we can invite other children to join us on the stairs too. I brought two uh, puppets today. Um, this one is not a turkey. This is a... Yeah, it's kind of a chicken. And you know, a turkey has a long thing like this, only it hangs down the center here on its neck. And I want to tell you what the name of that is. That's called a waddle. Yeah, it's called a waddle. And it's kind of how turkeys look when they walk, too. They waddle. Uh, Do you suppose they ate turkey at the first Thanksgiving? Well, I want you to know we don't really know. However, in the journal that was kept by one of the pilgrims, they said that they went hunting for turkey sometime in that fall. And so we think that maybe that's one of the things that they had. And it's been around with us for a long time. I brought this puppet because this puppet is very happy about Thanksgiving. This is the cow. Now, do you know why the cow is happy for Thanksgiving? Why? Yeah, we don't eat beef on Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So he is very helpful. He encourages us to eat chicken and turkey. So what we eat may be important, but the most important thing that we do on Thanksgiving is give thanks. And if we're going to say thank you, we have to say thank you to somebody. Yeah, that's true. He won't bite. So if we say thank you, to whom do we say thank you on Thanksgiving? Well, yes. Yes, we can say thank you to God, and we can also thank the other people around us too, right? I think it's probably important to say thank you to both, to everybody. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you're good to us and you give us voices to sing and a place to gather like this room. We ask that you will be with us when we gather in homes this week and give you thanks for all the gifts we receive from you. Lord, we ask that you will bless us that we might be a blessing to others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you for coming and singing today. That was wonderful. reading from 1 Timothy chapter 2. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings, and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right. It is acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, 
who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. For this I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I tell you this truth, not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place people should pray, lifting up their holy hands without anger or without argument. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to
the hymn that you just sang, by the way, is one of my favorite hymns to sing this time of year at a funeral. I know that sounds strange because we only associate this hymn with the Thanksgiving holiday. But if you take a look at particularly stanzas three and four of the hymn that you sang, our Lord God shall come and take the harvest home. And from each field, all offenses purge away. That means all of our sins. Give angels charge at last to cast the tares into the fire, our sinful nature. And God's garner is heaven, right? God's heavenly barn. So, Lord, come to your final harvest. Gather your people free from sorrow and sin forever purified and in God's presence to abide. It's a wonderful hymn for that. A strange day, really. Um, You're just the unfortunate people that have to come to a church that tries to remember that this is the last Sunday of the year in the Christian church. Um, Churches throughout the world will be celebrating this Sunday as Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday of the year. And the first Sunday every year, we repeat this cycle, begins the first Sunday of Advent, which is next Sunday. And it ends, the year Christian year ends, on Christ the King Sunday, Christ is resurrected, sitting as King of the universe. And we celebrate that. But these two kind of collide here in... um, the United States. And this is the text, the gospel lesson, that will be read throughout the world this day. It seems better suited for Good Friday. Listen for the word of God. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again. He summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, My followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. So, you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king? For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked him, What is truth? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is a strange Sunday. 
We're going to be gathering on Thanksgiving Day, but since many will be traveling to be with family or receiving family, we do a little bit of Thanksgiving this morning, and we do a little bit of um, Christ the King Sunday. So I have brought with me a few innocuous questions for this combo of a Sunday as a diversion from the pushing and shoving that these two themes seem to have as they vie for our attention on this Sunday, Thanksgiving and Christ the King. So here are my questions. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Which baby is the cutest ever? How can something be both new and improved? Because if it's new, upon what is it improving? Can you give me another word for thesaurus? Can you cry underwater? Well, how did I come up with these questions? Well, what you do is you go to Google and you just type in unanswerable questions. And these were a few of the results, but many of them are in fact answerable. They are not all rocket science. The question about babies, for example, is easy. The cutest baby is my baby, right? The answer can only be subjective. Can you cry underwater? Well, yes, you can. Your tear ducts still function underwater, but you won't be able to feel the tears coursing down your cheeks because they'll be mixing with the water around you. And why would you be crying underwater anyway? Uh, Today's gospel lesson is short but full of questions. It is a passage we might expect to find assigned to Good Friday rather than Christ the King Sunday. But all over the world, Christians are going to be reading this stuff. The questions are posed by Pilate. And Jesus responds to all of them except one. The last one. Pilate asked him, What is truth? And Jesus said nothing. And if he did respond to the question, we don't know about it because John doesn't tell us. None of the gospel writers do. Perhaps Jesus simply said nothing because he sensed that it was a rhetorical question. A question of frustration coming from a Roman procurator under political pressure. What is truth is a question politicians, it can be argued, with which politicians have trouble. It's more likely that Jesus didn't respond because he knew Pilate was not really looking for the truth. Or did Jesus think the line under his breath that was featured by Jack Nicholson playing the role of Colonel Jessup in A Few Good Men? You can't handle the truth. Pilate wasn't looking for what was true. He was looking for what was expedient. 
what was least likely to cause a riot in the streets or a phone call from the governor. Remember, this whole little chat between these two got started when Pilate asked the question, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responded and the conversation continued. Well, everyone who is a king is a king of something, aren't they? Like me, I'm the king of the castle, and I have my wife's permission to say so. (laughs) Have you ever noticed how those two words must go together? In order to be king, one must be a king of something, like uh, the king of England. Benny Goodman is the king of swing. Roy Rogers was king of the cowboys. Babe Ruth was the king of swat. Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. Lions are kings of the jungle. Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll. And a certain brewery that claims its brew is the king of beers. One day at Barnes & Noble, while browsing through the used book section, I encountered the book, The World According to Elvis, Now, I did not read it. I thumbed through it and discovered a number of little-known facts about the superstar. Did you know that Elvis was very disappointed when he received a, a guitar on his 11th birthday? He didn't want a guitar. He wanted a bicycle. You couldn't have learned that if you hadn't stayed, if you'd stayed in bed this morning. So you now have a new bit of information to take with you. Did you know that all three of Elvis's Grammy Awards were for religious Christian songs? Should we care? Here's an interesting fact. When Elvis died, He was reading a book on the Shroud of Turin. The title of it, beside his body, was A Scientific Search for the Face of Jesus. Now, generally, I've not been too interested in trivia about the late king of rock and roll. I agree with the person who said that there is something wrong in the world where God is dead and Elvis is alive. But it is interesting that the last piece of material that this lonely, hurting man was reading should have a title like that. There are lots of people, desperate, lonely, frustrated, afraid, who would long to have the comfort of seeing the face of Jesus. It sort of reminds me of Psalm 80. In some ways, I wish we had read that one. Three times in that very brief psalm, there is the phrase, show us the light of your face and we shall be saved. The song of the psalmist and the song that the psalmist sings is ancient. The plea and the prayer is old and yet it's as contemporary as the DNC front page. 
The words are ancient and a particularly Hebraic phrasing of a people's anguish and lament. Some Bible scholars tell us that if we wonder when it was that the words were first sung, we might think of the final days when the Assyrians were marching from the north and the northern kingdom of Israel was about to disappear forever. Some suggest that it was read by the zealots perched above the Dead Sea on the rock of Masada. Ever been there? If you go to Israel, go to Masada. 900 people stayed at the top of that rock and they jumped to their death rather than be enslaved by the Romans. And then there are those Old Testament words, almost prophetic in scope, but so are the names describing the rule of the Almighty. The King of Israel, the King of Judah, King of glory, the King of love my shepherd is, the King of kings. So even when you read the Bible, you are king of something, right? In the year 41 AD, scarcely more than a decade after the crucifixion of Jesus, Claudius became emperor of Rome. He was nearly 50 years of age when he succeeded to the throne after the death of the cruel tyrant Caligula. Claudius was a gentle man. He was a scholar and he wrote history. In the first years of his reign, he announced that he was not to be worshipped, not as a god. He should not be worshipped like his predecessors. He surprised everyone with his devotion to the people. He improved the procedures of the courts. He forbade torture. Rome and its provinces prospered under the rule of a man who was devoted to public good, and some think it is because some of his family hadn't had an encounter with the Apostle Paul while the Apostle was in jail in Rome. After the death of his unfaithful wife, Claudius married a widow. Her name was Agrippina. She had a son whose name was Nero. She persuaded Claudius to adopt Nero and to name the boy as his successor. As the emperor grew older, Agrippina began a reign of terror, killing those that she thought might oppose Nero after the death of Claudius. Her husband caught on to her scheme, and on the day she planned to disin- he planned to disinherit Nero, the young man and his mother fed Claudius poisonous mushrooms. After 12 hours of terrible suffering, Claudius died, and Nero, who was only 17 at the time, became the new king. How did Nero repay his mother for making him king? When Agrippina opposed his divorce from a faithful wife, he attempted to have her drowned in a shipwreck, which he had arranged, but she swam safely to shore. He then sent assassins to her home, and she was killed there. Nero prepared a letter to the Roman Senate 
claiming that his mother had plotted to kill him, and when caught, she had taken her own life. Such was the character of Nero, a conspiring son. And such has been the character of many rulers throughout history in their plottings and killings and beheadings and poisonings and terrorizing just for power. Why should we be surprised that our headlines tend to read of similar accounts? And there's much of this behavior in the Bible as well. Yes, even King David's household, where his children, particularly Absalom, plotted against him. You will read that about kings. How in the world do we get our values back? Sometimes we have just misplaced them. We've let the world control us. Robert Fulgham remembers a time when his seven-year-old daughter Molly enjoyed packing lunches for herself, her brothers, and her dad. Now, when you're seven, it's kind of fun to pack lunches for everybody. It's when you get to be about 12. You don't want to pack lunches for anybody, including yourself. Just give me the money, and I'll go buy lunch. Thank you. One morning, Molly handed her dad two bags as he was about to leave for the office. One was a regular lunch sack. The other bag was sealed with duct tape and staples and paper clips. So he asked his daughter, why the two bags? And she said, oh, Dad, just some stuff. Take it with you. He stuffed both of the bags in his briefcase. He kissed his daughter goodbye, and he left. While he was eating lunch, he opened the second bag. The contents of the bag proved to be interesting. He found two hair ribbons, three small stones, a plastic dinosaur, a pencil stub, a seashell, two animal crackers, a marble, a used lipstick tube, a small doll, two chocolate kisses, and 13 pennies. How charming, he thought. Rushing off to afternoon appointments, he swept his desk clean into the waste paper basket, leftover lunch, Molly's junk, everything. There wasn't anything there that I needed, said Fulgham to himself. That evening, Molly stood beside her father while he was reading the newspaper. Where's my bag, Dad? What bag? You know, the one I gave you this morning. I left it at the office. Uh, why? I would like it back. Why? Those are my things in the sack, Daddy. They're the ones I really like. I thought you might like to play with them, but now I would like to have them back. You didn't lose the bag, did you? And Robert Fulgham says, he felt rotten. 
Oh, no, he said, I, I just forgot to bring him home. Robert Fulgham lied. Can't you picture Mr. Fulgham tucking his daughter into bed and then commuting back to the office in order to retrieve all of those precious things out of the waste paper basket before the custodian came and emptied it? Molly was right. What was in that sack was important. She had given to her father all of her treasures, all that a seven-year-old held dear, love in a paper sack, and he had missed it. Not only missed it, he had thrown it into the waste paper basket because there wasn't anything in there that he needed. We do it, don't we? Throw away so much that's important because at the moment we don't need it. How much do you think it costs God to send his only son into the world? People toss that gift aside. It's a matter of perspective. The seven-year-old daughter had given to her dad something valuable, something she hoped he would enjoy. To her father, the contents were worthless junk to be discarded with leftover banana peels. And he gives us a king. God does. We just don't recognize it because we're looking for the kind of kings we envision. Pilate asked a question. So you are a king. And Jesus said, yes, you say that I'm a king. For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Maybe we don't want to get all philosophical here. Jesus wasn't trying to get Pilate into a conversation about Greek philosophy. Jesus was not referring to the truth of philosophers, but the truth of and about God. Jesus knew that Pilate was not ready to hear any of that truth. So he didn't respond to Pilate's final question. What is truth? But our Lord's reluctance to answer a question about truth has not stopped preachers from trying to answer the question that Jesus decided to leave unanswered. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus makes plenty of statements about God's truth. God loves us. God wants us to be reconciled to God. Believing in Jesus is a way to salvation. God's kingdom is not like an earthly kingdom. We should love God and our neighbors as we love ourselves. 
God's word is truth. And of course, there's the big one where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So the question, what is truth, is not that impossible to answer, right? What is difficult but not impossible with which to deal is Jesus' statement that everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. That Jesus chose the word belongs to rather than corners is pretty significant. He didn't say everyone who has a corner on the truth listens to my voice. This kind of person, the one who's convinced he's got the corner on the truth, is not just scary but very dangerous. Proverbs 21 A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. Jesus says that everyone who listens to him listens to his voice. It's not the first time he said this. You just flip a little earlier, take a look at John chapter 10. The sheep hear his voice, Jesus says. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Finally, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Ergo, to belong to the truth and to listen to the Jesus voice is to be a member of the flock over which Jesus is a shepherd. And the word shepherd is frequently used throughout the Bible to say the king. The king of love. My shepherd is Where in our culture these days do we see examples of belonging to the truth? We can cite instances of good deeds being done by people caring for the least of these. Maybe not all, but many do these things because they are motivated by the voice of Jesus from their friends and their conscience and from Scripture. How do we know if we're not belonging to the truth? Not hearing the voice. For example, we are not listening to the voice of Jesus when we do not show love for one another. John 13. We do not repent of sin. Matthew 4. We do not pray for our enemies. Matthew 5. We do not take up our cross. Matthew 16. We are not involved in making disciples. Matthew 28. We do not pray. Luke 21. We do not forgive. Matthew 18. We are consumed with being material and financially successful. Matthew 6. We are eager to express our anger and verbal abuse. Matthew 5. We could go on listing each of the places where we have not listened to the voice. Years ago, Danish philosopher and theologian Søren Kierkegaard commented on this what is truth passage in John. In these comments, Kierkegaard gets at the idea of listening for Christ by noting that the truth, that is Christ, is more important than what Christ taught. Kierkegaard warned that we can abolish truth by accepting Christ's teachings and never accepting Christ. We want the easy way, he writes, 
This is to abolish truth, for Christ the teacher is more important than the teaching. What is truth? It turns out it is not an unanswerable question. Christ is the truth. He didn't answer that question when Pilate asked it because Pilate was not interested in the truth. And the lesser truths of what should be done in the complex situations of our lives can best be found not just by consulting the rules and the precedents, but I wonder how many rules we would really need if our culture would listen more to Jesus. Most of the world does not know that he is the king of kings and that he is the Lord of lords. As we anticipate giving of ourselves, here's a prayer for us to share. Yes, a table is where we'll share. Sometimes there is also pain. There may be an empty chair. When will we feel whole again? When our days of grief are long, thank you that your love is strong. So we join in thanks this day from your gifts we freely share. For we follow Christ the way, loving, serving everywhere. Thus may our lives and gifts express all our daily thankfulness. Amen.
This is going to be a fascinating week as people travel, right? I'll make you aware that Carrie's not here because she's been on a little bit of a vacation trip. And um, she'll be coming home perhaps later tonight. Um, Martha doesn't like it when I announce when we're leaving town from the pulpit as if I'm saying, okay, the boats will be gone. This is the time for you to come raid in our house. Uh, nobody will be home. Uh, but we, we, we will leave. We're going to go down to Washington, D.C. and um, have Thanksgiving dinner with our son and his wife, China, and um, probably find a great restaurant in D.C. for that. And then uh, we'll come back to Pittsford via Philadelphia to visit our daughter and husband and grandbabies there. And um, I hope that if you're traveling that you will keep the speed at an appropriate one, so that the gendarmerie don't apprehend you, and uh, and that you will find that the route that you choose avoids white stuff, uh, if that ever comes. We've been asked to pray today for fellow missionaries in Malawi, in Africa, digging first-time wells in villages where clean water has never been available. May the Lord direct and guide their work to success. That kind of ministry of providing clean water is very different on that continent than threatening people, isn't it? And you've been a part of that in some special way. Uh, There will be uh, a different kind of Sunday next week. Hard to imagine. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. And so this banner will be replaced, and in its place there will be an Advent wreath. We'll be asking families to help us light that wreath, and if you're open and willing to do that, please see me uh, after worship, and particularly during the Advent brunch, which will be held today. Commonly, uh, we have this as a time of prayer, and um, usually end with the Lord's Prayer. You'll note that we did pray the Lord's Prayer a little earlier today. And I thought that as we come into Thanksgiving, that perhaps a Thanksgiving litany would be appropriate for us to share. Give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. Come, let us praise God joyfully. For the good world, for things great and small, beautiful and awesome, for seen and unseen splendors, for human life, for talking and moving and thinking together, for common hopes and hardships shared from birth until our dying, for work to do and strength to work, for the comradeship of labor, for exchanges of good humor and encouragement, for marriage, for the mystery and joy of flesh made one, for mutual forgiveness and burdens shared, for secrets kept in love. For family, for living together and eating together, for family amusements and family pleasures. For children, for their energy and curiosity, for their brave play and their startling frankness, for their sudden sympathies. For the young, for their high hopes, 
for their reverence toward worn-out values, their search for freedom, their solemn vows. For growing up and growing old, for wisdom deepened by experience, for rest and leisure, and for time made precious by its passing. For your help in times of doubt and sorrow, for healing our diseases, for preserving us in temptation and danger. For fellowship into which we are called, for good news we receive, for our life together. For your spirit who guides our steps and brings us gifts of faith and love, who prays within us and prompts our grateful worship. Above all, O God, for your greatness and for the hope you continually offer. Give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. God who was and is.
and shall be. Be grateful to that God. Our charge is one to share. For your love in times of trouble, for your peace when things are tough. For a stranger's gentle kindness, for a doctor's healing skill. For the baby in the manger, for the cross and empty tomb. For your kingdom's great surprises, poor ones lifted, lost ones found. Go in peace. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us always. Amen.